This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is C-SPAN's The Weekly. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. It is a 50-50 Senate with the Democrats holding on to a narrow majority with Vice President Kamala Harris in the role of Senate president casting any tie-breaking votes. So with the Democratic agenda on the line, the looming debate this year is over the future of the filibuster. We'll get some perspective with Kim Strassel. She's a columnist for The Wall Street Journal and a member of the editorial board. Now, the filibuster is one of more than 40 standing rules which essentially govern the day-to-day operations of the chamber. And over the years, it has been the subject of debate, criticism, and Hollywood movies. From this 1939 classic Frank Capra film, Jimmy Stewart playing Senator Jefferson Smith in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. You think I'm late? (laughs) You all think I'm late? Well, I'm not late. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause. Even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. An example of the talking filibuster in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Today, President Biden and others say one way to reform the Senate filibuster is to go back to that. But the endless speeches often sounds like this in 2013 with Senator Ted Cruz. I would not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them. Sam, I am. Kim Strassel of The Wall Street Journal makes this point about senators talking and talking as a way to hold up legislation or presidential nominees. Because, again, if, if you're the minority, all you have to do is have one senator on the floor and they can take turns and they can go on rotation and they can just keep talking. Whereas the majority in the case needs to have 50 senators around to prevent the minority from ending the debate. And in the meantime, no other Senate business, uh, and, and in this case, that would include the confirmation of President Biden's nominees, to be conducted as all of this stretched on. We'll have more of our conversation just ahead. But first, the Republicans now in the minority. This from Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell. For a long time. Senators on both sides have recognized the Senate and the country are better off with some actual stability. Both sides have understood there are no permanent majorities in American politics. So a system that gives both sides a voice benefits actually everyone in the long term. Those comments on the Senate floor by Republican leader Mitch McConnell and a recent piece in the Wall Street Journal with this headline, A Day in a Scorched Earth Senate. The opinion of Kimberly Strassel, she is joining us on the phone as a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. She's also a member of the editorial board. Let me go back to what Senator McConnell was saying. Basically, Democrats have a narrow majority today that could easily change in the future. 
Yeah, I agree. I think what McConnell is saying there is be careful what you wish for. Uh, He noted that the Senate has long been a place designed to slow things down, to require some kind of consensus, to get 60 votes. Uh, He pointed out that Republicans, when they were most recently in the majority, did not get rid of the filibuster uh, and pointed out to Democrats that it's very possible that even next year they could win back the majority. And at that point, then Democrats would very much like to have that filibuster to protect their own minority rights. Um, So, again, be careful what you wish for. Let me go back to your words. You wrote the following quote. The Democratic media complex reserves a special scorn for politicians who burst their bubbles. So little wonder that the cabal is dumping so hard this week on the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell. And you pose this question. How dare he speak truth to filibuster nonsense? Why nonsense? Nonsense in this regard, Steve, uh, that you've had a number of uh, people in the Democratic Party on the left who've been pushing to get rid of the Senate filibuster for several years now. And one of their main arguments is that the filibuster is the reason we have a broken Washington, uh, because that 60 vote hurdle just makes it too hard to get anything done. Um, And so they say, get rid of it. And suddenly all this legislation will flow. And what they didn't like about uh, some of McConnell's comments was pointing out that that has got it backwards. Um, If you get rid of the filibuster and in the process you infuriate 50 minority senators, uh, you're going to get rid of the one thing that does make the Senate work somewhat, which is collegiality and comedy. Because what a lot of people don't understand who don't watch Washington on a daily basis or watch it on C-SPAN – is that the Senate is entirely designed around the rights of individual senators. And if they're angry, they have the ability via all kinds of rules that have nothing to do with the filibuster to completely bring that body to a halt. Um, And so Democrats say, hey, get rid of the filibuster. We'll get everything we want. The reality is that you probably see a Senate that got nothing accomplished perhaps for months at a time. But Democrats say right now the system is broken because there have been so many filibusters in recent years. Yes, and that is a consequence of polarization in Washington, not the filibuster itself. Look, we've had the filibuster for decades and decades and decades, and we've passed incredibly consequential legislation throughout that period of time. Civil rights legislation, welfare reform legislation, uh, big things on school testing standards. Uh, And that was because in those pieces of legislation, you had members of both parties willing to come together on bills that might not have been perfect, uh, might not have been the thing that Uh, either side wanted or got everything of what they wanted, but they were willing to compromise. That really is what the Senate's about. The only thing that's changed now is that Democrats aren't willing to compromise, at least on some of these big priorities as they've just started this administration. Um, And Republicans in past have been unwilling to compromise. and, And that's the problem. It's not the filibuster. Well, listen to this exchange between CNN's congressional reporter Manu Raju and the Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer on Capitol Hill earlier this spring. When you, Senator, when you were in the minority, you joined plenty of efforts to filibuster legislation. So when, why is it, was it okay for you to join those efforts? And secondly, are you willing to live in a minority, assuming when you're in the minority okay, again let sometimes, me, let me answer your and question. give up that potent tool? The big difference is 
that we were always willing to negotiate in a bipartisan way. Mitch McConnell isn't. The bills he puts on the floor, even when he calls them bipartisan, aren't like the first uh, CARES bill, like the policing bill. There's no discussion. No discussion. We are sitting down. I am encouraging my colleagues to sit down with Republicans and move forward. There's a big difference in how we're conducting things and the way they're conducting things. And we're going to put these bills on the floor. We're going to see votes on them. So I believe, I believe, as I said, as I said, we need big, bold action, and we will figure out the best way to go. Everything's on the table. That's all I'm going to send it to you. So as you hear that from Senator Chuck Schumer, what's your reaction? Well, look, uh, I think most people, rational people, would look and somewhat laugh at that comment, uh, obviously, and certainly Republicans would. Uh, You know, we just had a $1.9 trillion COVID bill. Uh, Republicans put up their own offer of $600 billion. They requested to go meet with the White House. They did at least get a hearing. Um, And then they were summarily dismissed and the White House and Senate and House leaders wrote their own bill with absolutely no input whatsoever from Republicans. Um, And I think, as you heard Manu trying to follow up there, pointing out, well, where's your your outreach and working with Republicans on this voting uh, changes bill that you want to put through or with gun legislation. There's no party has a monopoly on a lack of bipartisanship. Um, And again, both sides have certainly done this, uh, but Democrats are not behaving in any more bipartisan fashion than the recent reign by Republicans. So this is a response to that. Here is what Senator Mitch McConnell said on the Senate floor. Or of our colleague's story that the filibuster was not an offensive relic as recently as last summer. But magically, imagine this, just magically, within a year, magically became an offensive relic at the instant the Democrats came to power. All of a sudden, it's an offensive racist relic when the Democrats came to power. Jaw-dropping hypocrisy. These backflips insult the intelligence of the American people. The far left is desperate to change the subject to the 1960s because they want people to forget how Senate Democrats behaved just last year. That from Senator McConnell, Kim Strassel, as you hear how he responds to Democrats who claim that this is a relic of the past, that it is racist. What are your comments, your observations? Well, I think he, he's simply reminding people, look, the, the filibuster is simply a procedural tool in the Senate. OK, it, and it's been it's not it's not a racist tool. It's just a tool. It's been used over decades by people of every party for purposes of all kinds of, of reasons. Um, now, it is true that, yes, uh, in the 1960s, the Democratic Party, there were members of the Democratic Party that used the filibuster to forestall civil rights legislation to attempt to stop it. Um, but that simply means that it was used for poor purpose at one point. It doesn't mean that it was born out of or specifically designed in any way to, to exist as a racist tool. So this is this has become this talking point on the Democratic progressive side because 
they're trying to bolster their arguments for getting rid of it because it is what stands in the way of their agenda in their minds. Um, uh, but it doesn't make it any more true. And, you know, as evidenced by, as Mitch McConnell pointed out, by the fact that Democrats have used the filibuster just as frequently as Republicans have and as recently as uh, just a few months ago. And as you pointed out, these rules changes have been in the works for a while. There are 44 standing rules in the Senate. The filibuster is one of them. I want to go back to some of those rules in a moment. But a quick history. This is on the Senate floor in 2013 as the Democratic leader in the majority at the time explaining why he was invoking what was called the nuclear option for cabinet nominees and lower court federal judicial nominees. Even one of the Senate's most basic duties confirmation of presidential nominees has become completely unworkable. Mr. President, there has been an unbelievable, unprecedented obstruction. For the first time in the history of our republic, Republicans have routinely used the filibuster to prevent President Obama from appointing an executive team or confirming judges. It's truly a troubling trend that Republicans are willing to block executive branch nominations even when they have no objection to the qualifications of the nominee. Instead, they block qualified executive branch nominees to circumvent the legislative process. They block qualified executive branch nominations to force wholesale changes to laws. They block qualified executive branch nominees to restructure entire executive branch departments. And they block qualified judicial nominees because they don't want President Obama to appoint any judges to certain courts. They need, the need for change is so, so very obvious. That from former Nevada Senator, Democratic leader Harry Reid. And in that same speech, he offered these numbers. In the history of our country, some 230 plus years, There have been 168 filibusters of executive and judicial nominations. Half of them have occurred during the Obama administration. Mr. President, 230 plus years, 50 percent. Four and a half years, 50 percent. Is there anything fair about that? Kim Strassel, does he have a point? So he does. He does. Now, even though, uh, because I agree, look, this is one of those areas in the Senate and, and when we're talking about specific Senate duties that I think presidents should have an enormous amount of, of say and be given a lot of deference over who they ask to serve around them. And barring, you know, some real ethical issues or some real concerns uh, that they are simply not fit or qualified for the job or that they will in some way because of past statements or things they've done make working with the Senate impossible, that generally you should support those nominees on, on both sides of the aisle. And so it was certainly problematic when Republicans did that. Democrats have done it just as much. I remember writing a, a common uh, column back in 2019 about this this poor individual uh, who had been nominated by President Trump to serve a part-time board position on the Tennessee Valley Authority. And he had been blocked by Senate, Demo- or Senate Democrats for 388 days. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and so there's all kinds of ways these things can get slowed down. And I, I do think that that's more of a tip for tap between the parties that is excessive. I didn't agree with the notion of getting rid of the filibuster uh, for nominees because I thought it would have been better if the parties had simply worked that out. 
once it happened, I could understand why Mitch McConnell uh, furthered that and decided to get rid of it for Supreme Court nominees as well, too. But I would point that this question of, of filibusters for nominees is very distinct from that of legislation, because, again, uh, nominees are something where I think presidents do deserve deference, but legislation is something the Senate has always been set up to try to require some bipartisanship. And so getting rid of the the Senate legislative filibuster is something very different entirely. And you make a very important point because up until 2017, Supreme Court nominees were exempted from the simple majority, but that changed as the Republicans now back in the majority. And here is how it unfolded. We carried it live on C-SPAN 2. You'll hear from Republican leader Mitch McConnell presiding over the Senate that day was Deb Fisher, Republican senator from Nebraska. And the final vote tally coming from then Utah Senator Orrin Hatch. Here is how it unfolded. We need to restore the norms and traditions of the Senate and get past this unprecedented partisan filibuster. Therefore, I raise a point of order that the vote on cloture under the precedent set on November 21st, 2013, is a majority vote on all nominations. The precedent of November 21st, 2013, did not apply to nominations to the Supreme Court. Those nominations are considered under the plain language, Rule 22. The point of order is not sustained. I appeal the ruling of the chair. The final vote is 55 yeas, 45 nays. Upon reconsideration, the cloture motion is agreed to. That from the Senate floor in 2017. Was that a mistake to take Supreme Court nominees to a simple majority vote? Again, I wish all nominees, I wish the filibuster had simply been retained for everything in the end. I don't fault Mitch McConnell for doing that for Supreme Court nominees because the precedent had been set uh, by Harry Reid four years earlier. Um, But that is why I think that I really wish Harry Reid had never done that because for those of us who were watching at the time, it was always incredibly clear that once you went through getting rid of the filibuster for lower court nominees uh, and presidential nominees, and once you extended it to the Supreme Court, that the next question was always going to be getting rid of it for the legislative filibuster and that the pressure would build and build. But the difference, again, is one of, of enormous magnitude because changing the filibuster for nominees uh, is about making sure a president has his people around him. Changing the legislative filibuster uh, is would essentially transform more than 200 years of what the Senate was designed to do, which is to act uh, very much as a body required to encourage consensus. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Let's talk about the Senate as an institution, because in your column, which is available at WSJ.com, and for those who watch C-SPAN 2, they're familiar with these terms, unanimous consent, morning business, quorum calls, points of order, all part of the, the rich tradition, the history of the U.S. Senate. Is that changing? 
Um, well, I think the important thing with regards to this filibuster debate is that the vast majority of it is not changing. And that is one of the problems that Democrats have were they to get rid of the filibuster. Because you mentioned earlier, Steve, those 44 standing rules of the Senate, and the filibuster is only one of those. Um, if you look at the other 43, and, and there's a great Congressional Research Service report talking about the history of the Senate and explaining this, those other 43 rules are almost all designed to enhance the rights of individual senators at the expense of the powers of the majority. Um, and this goes back to my point about the reason we give individual senators that power, too, is because the Senate is designed to work on consensus. Um, and when you give individual senators power to slow things down, it requires everybody to work a little harder to get buy-in and to get people on board. If you've created a completely partisan and angry environment by getting rid of the filibuster, all it does is inspire all of those senators to exercise those rights, which has the ability to completely shut down the Senate's ability to work. Do you think if Democrats get rid of the filibuster that it basically will make the Senate an extension of the House of Representatives? That's the institutional problem. Like, let's take away the things I just said about the ability of individual senators to shut things down. That's a procedural question. But in terms of the institution itself, its function and its role in American politics, absolutely. What you are fundamentally doing is essentially creating the Senate to be a, a kind of version of the parliament in the United Kingdom. Uh, it would also operate on a majority uh, rule status like the House. Um, and it would mean that you basically, whatever party won a majority, and if they won it on both sides, their agenda would be automatically imposed. But that would lead to a lot of instability, because if four years down the road you had a new member of the White House and new majorities in Congress, they'd simply reverse it all and then impose their extreme agenda. Um, the, the Senate's been the only thing in American uh, politics, uh, that in the courts, that tends to guard against that kind of uh, radical change. Um, and uh, we would be getting rid of that. It, it, it would fundamentally change America. And of course, as you point out in your column, two key Democrats that you're keeping an eye on, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin and Arizona's Senator Kirsten Sinema. What are you looking at from those two? Well, they have both been very consistent, which is kind of remarkable and impressive because uh, they are just getting pummeled by activists and their parties and outside groups that want them to cave and and agree to get rid of the filibuster. Because here's how this works for anyone who is not aware. Uh, you need you would need 51 votes to change that Senate standing rule on the filibuster. And because. Senate Democrats have exactly 50 seats at the moment, 51 if you get the tie-breaking vote from Kamala Harris. They can't do it unless they've got every single member on board. And both Manchin and Cinema has said no. Um, they both have stressed uh, the fact that they are they they believe in protecting the minority rights. Uh, they seem to be signaling that they're concerned about the day when Democrats may be back in the minority. They've talked a lot about this institutional question about how it would fundamentally change American politics. Both have talked a lot about how they are bipartisan. It, it's worth noting that both uh, hail from uh, more reddish states, particularly the case in, in Joe Manchin, and how they want a situation in which people are required to work together rather than against. 
Now, interestingly, uh, Manchin at least seems to have been taken a bit by the argument that somehow there should be filibuster reform. He's talked about going back to the old talking filibuster. Um, That doesn't necessarily help Democrats much because under the way we used to do talking filibusters, Republicans would have a, a great deal of ability to just simply stand up and talk. Uh, for for very long periods of time, and nothing else will get done in the Senate. So that does not please Democrats who who simply want a way of effectively killing the the filibuster. But so far, you haven't seen either of them shift on this issue. And of course, talking filibusters can often lead to moments like this in 2013. Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz. Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Would you like them here or there? I would not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them. Sam, I am. (laughs) One of the most viewed moments in the (laughs) C-SPAN video library, by the way. Well, it is. It's a great moment. Um, and, it, and it, you know, we haven't had any kind of real talking filibusters in a long time. But I think one thing that a lot of people don't know about that history is that when we did get rid of them uh, decades ago, it was actually uh, it was Democrat or I should say it was the majority party that wanted to get rid of them because it, it turns out you didn't most people don't know this but it it turns out that the talking filibuster is actually far more difficult for the majority than it is for the minority because again if if you're the minority all you have to do is have one senator on the floor and they can take turns and they can go on rotation and they can just keep talking whereas the majority in the case needs to have 50 senators around to prevent the minority from ending the debate. And in the meantime, no other Senate business, uh, and, and in this case that would include the confirmation of President Biden's nominees, could be conducted as all of this stretched on. Um, and so it, it was a, a joint decision by both parties at the time to get, to get rid of the talking filibuster and simply go to the system we have now. Uh, bringing back the old talking filibuster wouldn't necessarily help Democrats at the moment. So what do you think is going to happen? You've been watching this, observing it for many years, writing about it for The Wall Street Journal. What is your best sense? So my best sense at the moment is that um, I think you're going to see a couple of different things. Uh, First, you're going to see Democrats. uh, They just introduced this new um, uh, jobs plan or I should say infrastructure plan by President Biden, uh, something that they think or hope could get some bipartisan support by Republicans. Looking at it and the details, $2 trillion worth it, there's very little in there that Republicans, in fact, probably would like. Um, It's not very bipartisan. uh, And it also, of course, uh, contains enormous tax increases. So they're going to try, though. And once I think Republicans uh, exhibit their their interest in not going along, non-interest in going along with this, Um, there's and maybe they'll bring up a couple more bills to also try to demonstrate Republican obstruction. Then they're going to push again um, to have Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema uh, join with them to break the filibuster. And we'll see then again. uh, I noticed that the new strategy seems to be, okay. well, we we won't kill it. We want to reform it. You see all kinds of uh, proposals floating around Democratic circles about how to do that. 
the test for people who are watching is does uh, any reform actually preserve the ability of the minority to keep legislation for moving forward? Um, if you are, are talking about a filibuster reform that still basically allows the majority to do whatever it want with no minority input, whatever you call it, it's still killing the filibuster. Um, and we'll see if Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema go along with that. Right now, I, I don't think they necessarily will. And if that's the case, then watch for a lot of maneuvering for Democrats to try to figure out how they can ram more of their agenda through via the remaining reconciliation bill that exists right now. And we're already hearing talk about how Chuck Schumer is trying to convince the Senate parliamentarian that he ought to have more chances at reconciliation. Um, I think the sad thing that I haven't heard from anyone and I'm doubtful will happen is that none of this seems to persuade uh, the White House or Senate Democrats that maybe the better thing to do is that old fashioned thing of trying to work with the other side. (laughs) The other part of the debate that we have been hearing a lot of is D.C. statehood, which would cement two additional Democratic senators, presumably to the U.S. Senate. How much of the debate is that? Well, look. When I look at the agenda that Democrats are putting forward, I put them in two different categories or buckets. Some of these bills uh, seem to be about fundamentally transforming the economy uh, and putting a lot of money out there, whether it's in the infrastructure or or new areas where housing and education and, and all the things that you traditionally think of Congress having fights over. The other bucket is what I call structural structural changes, and and they're a little bit more I think concerning to me and and to members of the minority at the moment in in that in Congress, and that these are things that would fundamentally change the institutions and structures of the country. You know, the the voting bill that they have put forward is is essentially a federal takeover of a lot of state election laws, which traditionally in the entire history of this country, it's always been left to states to set the time, manner and place of their elections. Uh, This bill would fundamentally end that. Um, The D.C. statehood bill that you just mentioned would uh, fundamentally change the numbers in the Senate um, and is very clearly aimed, given that it's coming at the moment and it is, uh, designed to increase the chances of Democrats retaining a a permanent majority, given that there is little question that it would always be Democratic senators elected from D.C. Um, So that's only increased the pressure to get rid of the filibuster because a lot of this is just brass knuckle politics and, and Democrats see with these structural reform or changes a, a way to, to, I think, rig the game more in their favor. So let me conclude with this question, because we've heard in the past from Republican and Democratic leaders, is there hypocrisy on both sides? Is it where you stand depends on whether you are in the majority or the minority? Oh, Absolutely. I think that's always it's always been the case. But this is why this is very dangerous stuff, Steve, is that people are being very short term about this. And, you know, I look back to 2009, for instance, um, you know, the Obama administration came in. uh, They were very aggressive. They didn't think about the consequences. They pushed through a lot of legislation that was extremely controversial out there uh, with voters, whether it was the big stimulus bill or the president's health care bill. Um, And the blowback in 2010 was extraordinary. Republicans had one of their best elections, what, I don't know, in 65 years or something like that. 
So, you know, Democrats right now are, are thinking of blowing up the entire Senate as an institution, even with the knowledge that by next year they might be in the minority in the Senate again. Uh, and the four years from now, Republicans could be in a place to put through an agenda that would be truly terrifying to a lot of Democrats. So, you know, this is this is one of those moments where people ought to sit back and, and, and try to remember that these kind of big actions could have real consequences down the road. The headline from The Wall Street Journal, Democrats want to fix the chamber by ending the filibuster. That would break it. The view of Kim Strassel. She is a columnist and a member of The Wall Street Journal editorial board. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And a reminder, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode of this podcast available wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. We thank you for listening.